Well, as you know, we're in John chapter 1, so if you would turn there in your Bibles, John chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first five verses, and we're going to read those again and then go into our text, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's important to our text today. And let me read it again. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but... As many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, we pray that you would please teach us from your word, Lord. We pray, Father, that our faith would be built up as we study your word. You tell us in your word, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and not by the word of God. And so here we are. Your word is open before us. We're reading it. Hopefully we're all diligently desiring to receive from you, from your word. And we trust that you'll do so, Lord. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, as we were singing that last song, that last worship song to the Lord, about the Lord, this thought came into my mind, and the thought was this. Is he real? Who? Well, Jesus, is he real? You'd say, well, that's a dumb question. I mean, that's why we're here, aren't we? So I'll personalize it. Is he real to you? And you might double down and say, well, that's a dumb question. We're here. We believe in Jesus, and Jesus is real for me. Well, what does that look like? I mean, you know, guys, uh, if we believe certain things, it should be manifested in our life. It should be evident in our life that we hold to certain convictions or beliefs. As we're looking at Jesus, and, and really, as we noted last week, that John's Gospel account is so unique in different ways, you know. He doesn't begin with the beginning, i.e. the incarnation, the birth of Christ. His beginning goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 1-1. And he shows that uh, Jesus was there. Before there was a beginning, Jesus was there. Before uh, there was the creation, Jesus was there. The crea- Jesus created all things. We looked at this last week. Jesus is the Logos, the Word. God created with the word. God spoke, and things came into existence. But I was thinking of how we need to really put hands and feet to the faith we claim to have. Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus is the light of men. Jesus is that light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or him. Chapter 6 begins with John, so that's John, the author of this gospel account, John the Beloved, we would call him John the Beloved. Um, Why would we call him that? Well, because he calls himself that in so many words. He he mentions quite often that uh, Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, and he was so taken by the fact that Jesus would love someone like him. So John the Beloved, the author of the Gospel of John, tells us about another John, but he doesn't mention him by name here at all. He says there was a man sent from God, oh, he does mention his name, who was John. This is John the Baptist. 
Now, we don't know much about John the Baptist. From, by the way, John the Baptist, that wasn't his name. His name was John, and he was a Baptist, not a Baptist. You know what I mean. He baptized, and that's why he's referred to as John the Baptist. But that was not his name. Just, I'm just pointing out the obvious here today, because I think sometimes we get confused on the obvious things, and we, we kind of read into it. You know, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, the was his middle name. <laughs> but he was John. And, and we don't know much about John. I mean, Luke tells us about John's beginning. He tells us about his father. He tells us that John came from the line of the priest, that his father was an old man and his, his mother was an old woman and that his mother was barren and that they could not have children and, and, and that John's father would go in and serve before the Lord and his lot came up for him to offer incense on the altar of God. The incense represents the prayers of the people ascending before God. And apparently, John's father would, would, would pray for a son. You know, it was important for a man, especially in the, the Jewish race. I mean, carrying on the family name was extremely important for the Hebrew people. And no doubt he had been praying that the Lord would give him a son. And, and there it was that day when, when the lot fell to his favor to go in and to offer the incense on the altar that the angel met with him. And you know the rest of the story. If you don't, I encourage you to read the beginning of Luke's gospel. John just simply tells us that John was a man sent from God. So that tells us everything we need to know. He was sent on a mission by God. Now, guys, John was not like Jesus. Jesus, yes, fully man in his incarnation, but Jesus is God. We saw that. That was clear last week from the text and clear throughout the scriptures. But John was a man. He was just simply a man. His birth was miraculous, not like Mary's birth and or Mary's pregnancy and Jesus' birth was miraculous. But it was miraculous in the sense that his mother was barren and then, you know, she was able to bear a child, you know, at the will of God and, and John was born. But John was just a man. John was a man sent by God. John was a man that was spoken about by the prophets. Uh, Isaiah spoke about John and his ministry. Malachi spoke about John and his ministry. He was a man sent from God. And this man came, and now we are given the reason why he came. He came for a witness to bear witness to the light. So this is his purpose. He comes, he's the forerunner of Jesus, and uh, he goes out and he's baptizing. This is what the Lord told him to do. And he's preparing people for the coming of Jesus. Now, what did he preach well, we might gather, we might conclude that, well, what he preached was uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We read that in Matthew's account. We read that in the gospel accounts. But we would be mistaken if we thought that that's all that John preached. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, you know. There was more to it. Of course, we have some of his preaching in the gospels. In Luke's gospel, for example, we were given more information. But in Isaiah chapter 40 where the Lord prophetically reveals uh, that this man, John, would come up on the scene for such a time as this, that he would preach this. So this is from John chapter 40 and verses 6 through 8. Apparently he preached, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So John preached, in essence, life is fleeing, life is short. You need to get right with the Lord. I did a memorial service yesterday for one of the brothers in the church. He died in his 90s, lived a long life. And uh, the majority of the people that came to the memorial service were, um, were quite elderly, as you could imagine. Um, 
And as I was sharing with them, I was sharing of the shortness of life. And I told them as I looked out at them, I said, you know, guys, you know that life is the shortness of life. The reality of that comes, you know, home <laughs> when you realize you have fewer years ahead of you than you do behind you. And I told them, I said, as I look out there, it's apparent that this is true for the majority of us here today. You say, oh, how can you insult people? It's not insulting people. It's trying to wake people up. It's trying to wake people up that are so confident and so secure and so comfortable in who they are or what they've done or what they haven't done, that everything's okay, that if there's a God, if he exists, if Jesus is real, it means nothing to me in this life, but hopefully it will mean something to me in the life to come. Do you know people like this? We all know people like this. Boy, could you imagine? I mean, it's a weak illustration, but could you imagine? Someone invites you to go skydiving. They say, listen, I'll pay for everything. Here's the thing. You've got to pick up your parachute on your own. This is where you pick it up. And you decide, I'm not going to pick up my parachute. I'm going skydiving, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to wing it. I mean, why prepare for things like this? You know, you never know. Hey, I might be able to fly. I mean, you'd say, you're a fool. And you'd probably do anything you could to keep that person from jumping out of that plane because they're ill-prepared for the jump. And yet there are many people who live this life all of their life and they're ill-prepared for eternity that's ahead of them. And none of us know. You don't have to be old to have fewer years ahead of you than behind you. And so John came, and in essence, he says, listen, it's time to get right with the Lord. And so he came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Now, we know, again, John doesn't give us a lot of details, but we know that there were those who came out, and they were questioning him and all. And it goes on and says in verse Seven, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might be saved. All through him. Who is the him? The him is John. John saves people? No, John doesn't save people. But John was the one preparing the people for the coming of Messiah. John's role, John's purpose was acknowledge your sin, your sinners. Acknowledge your sin. Remember what he said, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose or to loosen or unstrap, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, listen, this is just kind of the prelude to, to the grand event that's coming. He's the grand event. He's the one. He's the light. And I'm just here to bear witness. And you know what's interesting? When you look at this, we're called, in one sense, to the same ministry. We're called to bear witness of the light. If you're a Christian, that is. If you're a Christian, you've been given a mission. It's called the Great Commission. It's to share the gospel with all creatures, all people. And we share the gospel, in essence, by bearing witness to the light, the light of Christ. You say, well, where do you get this? Well, Jesus, Jesus said it, and you guys are familiar with it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. We're to, as lesser lights, surely lesser lights, we're to bear witness to the light. We're to point to the light. We're to point to Christ so that people will place their faith in him. Now, verse 8 says, he was not that light. So this is John's commentary, not John the Baptist, but John, the writer of this apostle. He says, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
This word light, do you know, it's interesting, and I, I find these things intriguing personally. I, I, I love the Bible. I think that every true born-again believer should love the Bible. I think that we have to put our effort into it. You know, we have to study the scriptures. The scriptures aren't going to just open up to us and read here and, or, you know, kind of the audible Bible that just reads to us as we fall asleep at night. We need to do our due diligence. But when we do our due diligence, it's so amazing to see these patterns in the scripture. I mentioned last week, if you were here, that John, his gospel account, is unique in that he... He centers his whole gospel account around seven miracles of Jesus. Now, did Jesus perform more than seven miracles? Of course he did. John even tells us at the end of his gospel account, if, if we were to record all the things that Jesus both did and spoke, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books. There were many things that Jesus did. But he, he built his gospel account around seven miracles of Jesus. I think that's interesting. Seven. Why is that interesting? Because seven is the number of completion. We see this from Genesis on to Revelation. How many times do we see Revela uh, seven in the book of Revelation? Do you know? Seven times seven. That's how many times we see it. Do you think maybe the Lord's trying to speak to us? You know, oh, that's, you're looking into things. No, I'm just simply reading the scriptures. Maybe, maybe you're not. As you should be. As you should be studying the scriptures. John centered his gospel account around seven IMs of Jesus. Now, there were more than seven times that Jesus said, I am. But John decides to build his gospel account around seven IMs of Jesus. Seven miracles, seven IMs, a complete number. Some call it the perfect number. It's really the complete number. But I think it's worth noting that light is used seven times in the first chapter of John. The light of men, light in the darkness, that the light, that light used twice, true light, and gives light. And did you know that light is one of the titles, one of the many titles, before we, when we opened up this morning, before worship, I had mentioned how many times the name Jesus, that's his name, Jesus is used by the different gospel writers. But in, in John chapter 1, in the first chapter, and of course there was no chapter when John wrote this, but I just think it's interesting the way the Bible is broken up. But, but in the first chapter of our Bibles, of John's gospel account, we have seven titles for Jesus. We have the Word, we have the Light, we have the Lamb of God, we have the Son of God, we have Christ or the Messiah, we have the King of Israel, and then we have the Son of Man. Seven, seven, seven. I find that so intriguing. Jesus is the light. John says, John the Beloved says, he, John the Baptist, is not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light and that light, speaking of Jesus, is the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. You know what this tells us, verse 9? That every man, every woman, every person who's come into the earth, so through birth, come into the earth, has received a measure of light. What does that mean? A measure of revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some, they might not know much about Jesus Christ. Isn't it tragic today that um, there's a lot of young people growing up in a, in a lot of homes and they're not exposed to the Bible at all. They're not exposed to Jesus. If they are, you know, they have a hard time putting the pieces together. And, you know, usually their parents have a disregard for the Lord and so they just kind of carried on that family trait. Let me, let me tell you, that's not a family trait that you... <laughs> You want perpetuated in your family. Rejection of Christ. But everyone has been given a light. What do we do with that light? I think of before coming to faith in Christ, 
the gospel was preached to me over and over and over again. The offer of salvation was presented to me over and over again. I was exposed to the light of Christ. I was given a measure of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I rejected it. I rejected it. I rejected it. I rejected it until that day that I received it. I'm so thankful that I received the light, the Lord. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, kind of the second part of the verse, it says, those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. See, that's prophetically speaking of what we're seeing in John's gospel chapter 1. Jesus is the light. The children of Israel at that time, they were living in the shadow of death, the shadow of of despair. And John was there to bear witness. Now, how long did John minister before Jesus came upon the scene? Do you know that we don't really know? Could it have been months? Was it days? Was it weeks? We don't know. All we know is that people were coming out, and John's ministry, guys, was extremely popular. Do you realize that? That even the religious leaders were coming out to be baptized by John. His ministry was extremely popular. And so people would come out, you know, if you're a a, a soldier, you know, what must we do, you know? Stop intimidating people. If you're a tax collector, you're coming out, you know, to be baptized by John for the remission of sins or onto the remission of sins. John doesn't forgive any sins. He has no power to do that. If you're a tax collector, what should we do? Stop ripping off the people. Only take the tax that you're supposed to take, you know. And he had specifics to say to the people. And the people seemed to be open to that. I mean, they acknowledge. We don't see any resistance. We don't have any recorded words of tax collectors saying, listen, I'm I'm an upstanding uh, tax collector. I would never do such things. I mean, we don't have anything like that. Maybe that happened, but we don't have any account of that. The people would come out and he would baptize. But he was not that light, but he gave witness of that light, which is the true light. And it's the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world. Now, this he is not John the Baptist. This he is Jesus. How do we know that? Well, because we know how to read. We can read the the context and we can see that it changes. He was in the world. It goes back. Remember I said last week that John, you know, guys, as students of the Bible, And this is the wonderful thing. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology. You don't have to go to Bible college. You you have everything you need. If you have salvation in Christ, you have the spirit of the living God living within you, who is the teacher, who is the one who reminds us of the things that have been taught, who teaches us as we read the scriptures. But again, we need to do our due diligence because he's not going to force us to study his word. But you have everything you need to understand, to comprehend, and to glean from the word of God. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. I mentioned that. I I forgot my thought. I do that quite often now. What I I was getting at is, as I mentioned last week, John, there's a pattern. John, he kind of sets his foundation. That was the first five verses of this first chapter. He tells us about Jesus, who he is. He tells us about what he's done. He speaks of the creation. He speaks in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And now we see him building upon that light. And we'll see him do that. We'll get to a point where we're going to see him talk about, mention spiritual birth. And then he will build upon that when we get to chapter 3. So guys, the Bible is not boring. If the Bible is boring, it's because we're not doing our due diligence or we're not putting the time into it. You know, we're just not, we're not making time. We're not, we're, we're not, uh, you know, doing our due diligence. 
or we're not saved. People hate it when I say things like that, but I've got to tell you, I'm telling you, I was an absolute idiot before coming to faith in Christ. I could barely read. I went to reading clinics and speech therapy from the youngest age. Graduated from high school because it was based on credits. <laughs> I mean, you get so many credits, you're out. Graduated when I was 17 years old. Immediately went to a junior college. I was overwhelmed. I was, I was drowning in the, in the reading, you know, and all the requirements and everything that, you know, a college student has to have, even a junior college, you know, and I was drowning, and I dropped out. And I got a job landscaping and did that for a while. The next year came around, and I went to another college. I mean, it's like insult to injury. This other college that I went to out in, in Oceanside, in San Diego, uh, I, I, I took seven courses in agriculture. And, uh, and, and, and if I wasn't drowning the first time, I was really drowning because now I have, all, <laughs> I have all of these plants where I can't pronounce their names. I mean, the, you know, the, I mean there's just so much there. And I remember the instructor coming to me and he says, you're in over your head here. And I said, I am, um, I can't keep up. I struggled. I met my wife, I married my wife, I struggled. I used to think, man, I hope my body doesn't wear out because that's all I have to offer. I got a strong body, I can do physical work, my mind's not that strong, but my body is. And I'll tell you, when I surrendered my life to Christ, something happened. It was like God graciously just kind of went, turned the light on. Danny, come over here. I want to show you some things. It wasn't like that, but it seemed like that. I immediately wanted to read the Bible. I used to pray. I mean, the first few weeks, Lord, if I could... If you could teach me how to read, I could read your Bible. I just want to know you. It was like the Lord just said, that's easy. And the Lord just taught me. I mean, all of a sudden I'm reading and I'm comprehending for the first time in my life. And I'm following and I'm going, Lord, you're so good. I never thought I would be a pastor. I never thought, and this isn't a boast, this is God's grace, I never thought I would know the word of God like I know the word of God today. I've got a long way to go. But after spending decades studying the word of God, I'm so thankful for the knowledge that I have, the word of God. The point is, is this. I don't mind being the butt of my illustration. I don't mind being the idiot of my illustration to point out how glorious and how powerful God is, and how there are no limitations. The only limitations are what we set upon ourselves. And the fact of the matter is, there are many people that are much, much smarter than I'll ever be in a hundred lifetimes that waste the mind that God has given you. You waste it because you don't give your mind and your heart to something that's eternal. Do you know that the word of God is eternal? He says, and my word shall never pass away. It's eternal. And we give all of our energy to things that are passing in this passing world. So I get a little emotional about it because I think, man, if the Lord could use an idiot like me for his glory so that he gets the credit because he knows where I came from. He could do that with anybody. The Lord reveals his light. And I'll tell you, what do we do with that light? The Lord is the light. What do we do with him? He, he fans into flame the smallest of our efforts. Do you know that? I mean, it's like 
Do you remember the first time you shared the gospel with someone? Do you remember how scared you were? I mean, maybe your knees were physically knocking together and you're just so scared. And Lord, I don't even know. And, and you got done with the thing and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know what I said. I don't know what this is. And then maybe the person responds favorably and says, yeah, I want to do that. I remember that happened to me. Yeah, I want to do that. I said, do what? Well, you just offered. I want to receive Jesus. Really? You know, it's like, yes, I want to receive Jesus. I mean, I was blown away because I figured I don't know what I'm doing. But the Lord loves people. And the Lord wants to save people. And the Lord reveals his light to all people. It says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And then it gets really sad, because it says, and he came to his own, and it literally means his own people, and his own did not receive him. And you just think, wait a minute. His own. Hey, American Christians, can I remind us of something? Uh, there is this arrogance, there is this pride among Christians of the West. Almost as if all of God's plan began with us. It did not. It began with Israel. Whoa, let me back up. It began with one man who was not a Jew. It began with one man who worshipped pagan gods. Abram. One man who was obedient. One man who believed God. One man whom God made a covenant with as he slept. <laughs> one man. And he says, Abram, Old man, your wife is barren. There's patterns in the Bible, isn't there? The Lord likes to stake all the odds against him so that people would say, nothing could ever come of this. I mean, how many times did he do it in the scriptures? Abram, listen, uh, the name is going to change first. You're going to be Abraham because I'm going to make you the father of many nations. What does that mean? I don't have a son. Remember the whole deal? Oh, I got to have a son. God said, I'm going to have a son. I need to have a son. He tells his wife, Sarai, we're supposed to have a son. God's going to give us a son. She probably looked at him and said, well, I, I have nothing to offer. I'm sorry about that. But, but I'll tell you what, you could take Haggai. Haggai? No, not Haggai. I'm getting my H's up. Haggai. Hagar. <laughs> Thank you. Hagar. You could take my, my maid. She could go in. You could lie with her. She conceives. He has a child with her. Ishmael. I remember that one. Ishmael. Work of the flesh. What does the Bible say about Abraham and Isaac? Who was Isaac? His only begotten son. No. He wasn't his only begotten son. Ishmael was his son. Yes, Ishmael was his son. Did God bless Ishmael and his 12 tribes? Isn't it interesting that you have 12 tribes coming out of the field? Yes, he did. But they also became a thorn in the son of promise in their side, Israel. You look at this and you say, God, you're so amazing. He calls one man, and from that one man, a nation. And to that nation, he, he gives his law, his standard. And to that nation, he sends his prophets. And to that nation, he, he gives them blessings. He pronounces blessings on them and also curses if they're disobedient to him. You look at them and say, wow, so amazing, Lord. It didn't begin with us. Where'd Johnny come lately, guys? Uh, Paul makes it clear. Listen, they were 
plucked off because of disbelief, because of disobedience, but we've been grafted in. We're not, we're not, we're not true to the nature of the plant. We've been grafted in. And I don't know about you, but I say, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad that I'm grafted in. This is mercy. But then he goes on to say, and I'm not done with Israel. Think of the blessing that will come to the world. In fact, that's what God said, that there would be a blessing that would come through the nation of Israel upon the whole world. Do you know that's the prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled during the thousand-year reign of Christ? The point is, is that these people, the Jews, his people, the Hebrew people, they should, have been, they should have been expecting Jesus, the Messiah. They should have been expecting him to come based upon the prophecy of Daniel, based upon the many other prophecies, Micah and others, Isaiah. Based upon the prophecies, they, they should have been expecting. It's the time. It's the season. He's coming. But he came to his own, and they did not receive him. The light was not only revealed and resisted, but he was also thankfully received. Verse 12, but as many as received him. Hey, guys, it's never the whole. Read your Bibles. Study the scriptures. Come out on Wednesday night for our Jeremiah study. It's never the whole. It's always the remnant. It's never the whole that's faithful. It's never the whole that's disobedient. It's the remnant. It's the smaller number. It's the, but as many as received him. Do you ever stop and think, I was thinking about this last night. Do you ever stop and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm part of the remnant? I mean, it's by your grace. It's not anything that I've done. I, I, I believe in you, and, and I'm part of the remnant. Guys, I, you have to realize, and I know you do, because you live in the same world that I live in, there is a growing hostility toward God and his word and his principles and his precepts in this world that we live in. I mean, you are a minority. You're not among the majority on planet Earth. You are a minority in your classroom if you're a student. You're a minority in your workplace. You're not the majority. It's not the majority of the people you, unless you work for some ministry or something like that, but the, you're the minority in, in the, the whole of, of your you know, spheres. And yet we have the truth of the gospel. We have the light of Jesus. We've been given a mission to point people to the light. For what purpose? So that they might receive him. When I was 20 and I surrendered my life to the Lord after hearing the gospel many, many times, invitation after invitation after invitation, and I'm so thankful that it was real. I'm so thankful. We all have different experiences. Some of you, it's like I'm easing into it, you know, you know, whatever that means, like easing into a relationship with Christ, you know. Some people, I've known people, we've had people at the church here. It's almost like they want to get serious about the Lord once they retire. So, well, that's weird, you know. How do you know you're ever going to retire? How do you know that you live long enough to retire, you know, instead of seizing the moment, you know, and just embracing the Lord? But but there are, there are people that are perishing, and we have the goods. We have the answer. We have the light. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, the very first thing I did, I mean, I, I might have done it the day that I came home and told Tracy that I'd received the Lord. Uh, I know one of the first things I did is I asked her if I could look at her Bible. I had no idea how to even use a Bible. And uh, she's, oh, sure, babe. I mean, she's just ecstatic because she wanted me to come to faith in Christ a long time, you know, before we were married. But, um, but then I contacted my parents. I just kind of assumed, I don't know why, I was 
naive, I guess. I assumed that my parents were really going to be thrilled to hear that their son was born again. And my dad said, what? My dad did not mince words. My dad, blunt. He was very blunt. And, uh, and I, he says, well, what does that even mean? And I said, Dad, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he says, what does that even mean, received? Because, you know, he's Catholic. So for him, it's something you're born into. A lot of Lutherans are like that, too. A lot of denominationals. I've always been a Christian, you know. It's like, uh, sadly, a lot of those churches don't have Bibles either. They don't open those Bibles. But you know, guys, I share this simply because receiving Christ is not some modern terminology or modern concept. We see it here from John. He says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. How do we receive? Believe in his name. What happens when we receive him, when we believe in his name? He gives us the right to become children of God. How is this possible? Verse 13, who are born not of blood. Your mom, your dad are Christians. Praise the Lord. You got to repent. You got to place your faith in Christ. Your father's faith, your mother's faith, that might, you know, create an environment that's sanctified in a sense for you. You're growing up in an environment where you're hearing the word of God, but you yourself need to place your faith in Christ. This is where many Christian parents are blown away. It's like, oh, you know, where's my kids? Why aren't they walking with the Lord? What's going on? We raised them in the church, and they have this guilt complex because, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. I took them to church and everything. And many Christian parents, and myself included, never stop to think biblically till we're forced to. Wait a minute. My kid needs to receive Christ, the light. My kid needs to be born again, born of the Spirit. My kid needs to come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, to have their own faith that's separate from their moms and their dads or any of their peers. It's their own genuine faith. Parents, I shouldn't need to remind you, and I don't want to insult you if you've already got this down pat, but I'm telling you, if you're not praying for your kid, no one is. No one will pray for your kid with the passion that you will pray for your kid. I mean, I, you know, I, I have compassion on people that have kids that have gone astray, and I pray for them, as we all should do. But I'll tell you what, when my kids were going astray, I prayed passionately. I was pleading with the Lord. You couldn't keep me away from a prayer meeting. I'd break down in front of this congregation. I would, you know, please pray. We're, we're, we're looking for, you know, so-and-so, and we're just distraught, and, and we just, we're, we're fearful of that dreaded phone call. And, and please pray with us. Would you please join us in prayer? And people thought, that's so undignified as a pastor. I don't care about that. It is a Christian. It is a father. It is a mother. It is a parent. They're saying, would you please link arms with me and pray with me for my child or my husband or my wife or my... That's what born-again people do because we recognize it's a battle. It's a battle for their souls. I'm convinced that the way the enemy gets most parents that are truly desiring to walk with the Lord is through their kids. Because once he gets us convinced that you failed, you failed at parenting. How many of us fall into the corner? You failed there. You can't do anything else. That's where he gets us. And too many parents throw in the towel. And I always tell parents, do not stop. Do not stop what? Do not stop serving the Lord. 
Do not stop going to church. Do not stop sharing the gospel. Do not stop what God's called you to do. You do it even more so. It's like almost a push in the face of the enemy. You do what you're called to do and leave <laughs> your child in the hands of the Lord because the Lord loves your kid more than you do. And he wants your child to come to faith in Christ more than you do. But you do your due diligence. And too many parents, they take the sideline. They say, well, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to put it on pause. And your kid looks at you. I'm telling you, your kid looks at you and says, it's not real. He's not real. The life's not real. He's a crutch. He's something you do. I think the worst thing a parent could hear from their child is you act different around Christian people than you do at home. Oh, wouldn't that be horrible? Why are you a different person when you're at church than you are at home? It's got to be real. He's got to be real. We need to place our faith in him. We need to trust in him. Time is running out. Would you stand with me, please? You know, um, don't you hate to be lied to? I think when you're lied to, that's probably the biggest insult. That's the hardest thing to get over when someone has, has lied to you. And... The fact of the matter is, is that we have a real enemy who's constantly lying to us because he wants us to believe the worst about, you know, about God. He wants us to believe. I, I went to bed last night, you know, memorial service, share the gospel. I always share the gospel. Weddings, share the gospel. Memorial services, share the gospel. Christmas services, share the gospel. Whenever you have people that usually don't come to church, share the gospel. You, oh, why do you have to do that? It makes people feel uncomfortable. Because it might be the only light that they're exposed to. It might be the only opportunity. What they do with that light is up to them. But came home, went to bed, and I was just kind of lying there, and I just said, you know, Lord, it's hard to walk with you. It's hard to, you know, to even encourage other believers to be serious about you because it just seems like we're so preoccupied with so many other things. It's just hard. And it's not getting any easier, Lord. And it's not going to get any easier, folks. It's just going to get harder. I love what I get to do. I love teaching the word of God. But there are times as a man, you know, that man, you just kind of get discouraged and just feel like, man, this is hard. It's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that I question sometimes what fruit comes from it. And see, I could get down under it. And that's why I need the truth of God's word. Danny, you're not responsible for them. You share the gospel. You tell them the truth. You pray for them. But you cannot possibly be responsible for their conduct or, 
or, or their prayer life or their, their reading of the scriptures or these things. You cannot be, and, and no person could be that way. A spouse can't be responsible for their spouse or a parent for their children. If their children are old enough, you know what I mean. If your kids are little, you should be in there every night reading the scriptures to your kids so they're familiar with this. They're being trained in it. And then eventually they'll take the baton, you know, on their own. We need the strength of the Lord. We need the wisdom of the Lord. And we need to block out the lies of the enemy because a lot of people are falling by the wayside because they're believing the lies. Don't listen to the lies. The enemy wants us to draw a line in the sand and cut our kids off because they're not doing this or they're not doing that. And this is my house, and if you don't like it, get out. Good man. Is that what Christ would do? The one who goes after the one of the night he died? The one who stays up all night? You know, I mean, the, the prodigal son, that picture, obviously that's a picture of the father's heart, you know. He wants us to believe lies like that. He wants us to believe lies, you know. This marriage will never work. Doesn't he attack us in the most sacred things, ordinances of, of, of human life? Marriage, the family. I mean, that's where we're attacked. We say, yeah, there's no hope. I'm just going to throw in the towel, you know. I'm a loser. I'm, I failed once again, you know. And I'll tell you, when we do that, the enemy has us right where he wants us. So that's why we need to be people of the word. So we're reading the word, and our minds are being washed by the word of God. And we're saying, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know, no, I don't have to be reminded of all the bad things I've done. I know I was a bad guy or bad gal, you know, before coming to faith in Christ. And even after coming to faith in Christ, there's failures, and there'll be plenty of failures before me. I don't have to live with that hanging over my head. I don't have to live with the condemnation of failures for the rest of my life. I don't have to live with my head hanging low, you know, in depression. I don't have to live, you know, in the shadows because I have a child that's not walking with the Lord or a husband or a wife that's not walking with the Lord. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to trust you, Father. I'm going to trust you for them, for her, for him, for them. Would you help us to do that, Lord? I pray for those that have been lied to, maybe even this week, that you would remind them of who you are, what your, your character, your nature, your word, your hope, your truth, your light. Would you help us, Lord, to get out of the shadows of darkness into your glorious light and to live there, Lord? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.